Amen. Good morning, church. Happy Resurrection Day. I know many of us were uh, deeply touched by that song. Appreciate Latrice being able to sing her heart out. And um, we get to celebrate the Resurrection Day today together. Let's go ahead and bow our heads in prayer. Our Father, thank you so much for this morning that we get to come together to think about Jesus. That we get a chance to remember that there is a resurrection. We're so thankful this morning for Jesus. We're so thankful for the family. More than anything, we're so grateful for your presence. And that, Father, you would give your only son to die for us and resurrect. Please be with this time as we study your word together and remember Holy Week. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, I have something somber I wanted to share this morning. In Sri Lanka, more than 207 people died this morning as they were gathering in luxury hotels and churches all over the city. Um, and it's just really sad, right? They came together this morning to celebrate Easter and, and had something horrible like that happen to them. It's sobering, and it reminds me of just that there's a cost, and that some people, they're not going to honor and respect our faith, right? And that's, and that's okay. But we need to be praying about and for the, the, the people of Sri Lanka, uh, a very Christian, just a small number of Christians from what I understand live there. So, amen. What I wanted to do is start off talking about Holy Week. And you know, Holy Week is a time from Palm Sunday, which was last Sunday, to the resurrection, which was today, traditionally. I uh, found an article by a Mary Fairchild that really illustrated this that I wanted to share with you guys this morning, and I thought it would really encourage our hearts to understand the journey that took, Jesus took really during his last week. So while the exact order of events during Holy Week is debated by biblical scholars. This timeline represents an approximate outline of major events of the most holy days on the Christian calendar. Follow along with the steps of Jesus Christ from Palm Sunday through the Resurrection Sunday, exploring the major events that occurred on each day. So day one, we uh, hear about the triumphal entry on Palm Sunday. On the Sunday before his death, Jesus began his trip to Jerusalem, knowing that soon he would lay down his life for our sins. Nearing the village of Bethpage, he sent two of his disciples ahead, telling them to look for a donkey and its unbroken colt. The disciples were instructed then to untie the animals and bring them to him. Then Jesus sat on the young donkey and slowly, humbly, made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, fulfilling the ancient prophecy in Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The crowds welcomed him by waving palm branches in the air and shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. On Palm Sunday, Jesus and his disciples spent the night in Bethany, a town about two miles east of Jerusalem. This is where Lazarus, whom Jesus had raised from the dead, and his two sisters, Mary and Martha, lived. They were close friends of Jesus and probably hosted him and his disciples during their final days in Jerusalem. 
on to day two. On Monday, Jesus clears the temple. And it's interesting because when you think about all the events that took place, most of the actual gospels really record most of it was the last week of Jesus's life. So as we're here and he's getting ready to clear the temple on Monday, it says the following morning, Jesus returned with his disciples to Jerusalem. Along the way, he cursed a fig tree because it had failed to bear fruit. Some scholars believe this cursing of the fig tree represented God's judgment on the spirituality spiritually dead religious leaders of Israel. Others believe the symbolism extended to all believers, demonstrating that genuine faith is more than just outward religiosity. True living faith must bear spiritual fruit in a person's life. Can we say amen to that? Amen. When Jesus arrived at the temple, he found the courts full of corrupt money changers. He began overturning their tables and clearing the temple, saying, The scriptures declare, my temple will be a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. On Monday evening, Jesus stayed in Bethany again, probably in the home of his friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Day three. This is Tuesday. Jesus goes to the Mount of Olives. On Tuesday morning, Jesus and his disciples returned to Jerusalem. They passed the withered fig tree on their way, and Jesus spoke to his companions about the importance of faith. Back at the temple, religious leaders were upset at Jesus for establishing himself as the spiritual authority. They organized an ambush with the intent to place him under arrest. But Jesus evaded their traps and pronounced harsh judgment on them, saying, Blind guides, for you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Outwardly, you look like religious people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. Snakes, sons of vipers, how will you escape the judgment of hell? Jesus laid out some fire right there. That was Matthew 23, verse 24 through 33. Later that afternoon, Jesus left the city and went with his disciples to the Mount of Olives, which sits due east of the temple and overlooks Jerusalem. Here, Jesus gave the Olivet Discourse an elaborate prophecy about the destruction of Jerusalem in the end of the age. He speaks, as usual, in parables, using symbolic languages a language about the end times events, including his second coming and the final judgment. Scripture indicates that Tuesday was also the day Judas Iscariot negotiated with the Sanhedrin, the rabbinical court of ancient Israel, to betray Jesus. What was the cost? 30 silver coins. After a tiring day of confronting and warnings about the future, once again, Jesus and the disciples returned to Bethany to stay the night. On Wednesday... The Bible doesn't say what the Lord did on Wednesday, on the Wednesday of Passion Week. Scholars speculate that after two exhausting days in Jerusalem, Jesus and his disciples spent this day resting in Bethany in anticipation of Passover. Just a short time previously, Jesus had revealed to the disciples in the world that he had power over death by raising Lazarus from the grave. After seeing this incredible miracle, many people in Bethany believed that Jesus was the Son of God and put their faith in him. Also in Bethany, just a few nights earlier, Lazarus' sister Mary had lovingly anointed the feet of Jesus with expensive perfume. Day five. This is the Passover and Last Supper on what they call Monday or Monday Thursday. Holy Week now takes on a somber turn. 
on Thursday. From Bethany, Jesus sent Peter and John ahead, of the upper room, ahead to the upper room in Jerusalem to make the preparations for the Passover feast. That evening after sunset, Jesus washed the feet of, the, of his disciples as they prepared to share in the Passover. By performing this humble act of service, Jesus demonstrated by example how believers should love one another. Today, many churches practice foot washing ceremonies as part of their Monday, Thursday services. Then Jesus shared the feast of Passover with his disciples, saying, I have been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. As the Lamb of God, Jesus was about to fulfill the meaning of Passover by giving his body to the broken and his blood to be shed in sacrifice, freeing us from sin and death. During this Last Supper, Jesus established the Lord's Supper or Communion, instructing his followers to continually remember his sacrifice by sharing in the elements of bread and wine. And after the communion, we'll, of course, be able to bow our heads, take communion together and remember. Later, Jesus and the disciples left the upper room and went to the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus prayed in agony to God the Father. Luke's gospel says that his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Late that evening in Gethsemane, Jesus was betrayed with a kiss by Judas Iscariot and arrested by the Sanhedrin. He was taken to the home of Caiaphas, the high priest, where the whole council had gathered to, be, to, make, or to begin making their case against Jesus. Meanwhile, in the early morning hours, as Jesus' trial was getting underway, Peter denied knowing his master three times before the rooster crows, crowed. Day six, this is Friday, the trial, crucifixion, death, and burial, which we now call Good Friday, is the most difficult day of Passion Week for Jesus. Christ's journey turned treacherous and acutely painful in these final hours leading to his death. According to Scripture, Judas Iscariot, the disciple who had betrayed Jesus, was overcome with remorse and hanged himself early Friday morning. Meanwhile, before the third hour, which is about 9 a.m., Jesus entered the shame of false accusations, condemnation, mockery, beatings, and abandonment. After multiple unlawful trials, he was sentenced to death by crucifixion, one of the most horrible and disgraceful methods of capital punishment known at this time, or known at the time. Before Christ was led away, soldiers spit on him, tormented and mocked him, and pierced him with a crown of thorns. Then Jesus carried his own cross to Calvary, where again, he was mocked and insulted as Roman soldiers nailed him to the cross. Jesus spoke seven final statements from the cross. His first words were, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. His last words were, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Then about the ninth hour, which was about 3 p.m., Jesus breathed his last breath and died. By 6 p.m., Friday evening, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea took Jesus' body down from the cross and laid it in the tomb. On Saturday, in the tomb, it's day seven, Jesus' body lay in its tomb where it was guarded by Roman soldiers throughout the day on Saturday, which was the Sabbath. 
When the Sabbath enter, ended at 6 p.m., Christ's body was ceremonially treated for a burial with spices purchased by Nicodemus. He brought about 75 pounds of perfumed ointment, ointment made from myrrh and aloes. Following Jesus' burial custom, they wrapped Jesus' body with the spices and long sheets of linen cloth. Nicodemus, like Joseph of Arimathea, was a member of the Sanhedrin, the court that had condemned Jesus Christ to death. For a time, both men had lived as secret followers of Jesus, afraid to make public profession of faith because of their prominent positions in the Jewish community. Similarly, both were deeply affected by Christ's death. They, became, they boldly came out of hiding, risking their reputations and their lives because they had come to realize that Jesus was indeed the long-awaited Messiah. Together, they cared for Jesus' body and prepared it for burial. While his physical body lay in the tomb, Jesus Christ paid the penalty for sin by offering the perfect spotless sacrifice. He conquered death, both spiritually and physically, securing our eternal salvation. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the enemy, uh, empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And the ransom he paid was not mere gold or silver. He paid for you with precious lifeblood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. Most of the scriptures came from the New Living Translation. On day eight, Resurrection Sunday. On Resurrection Sunday or Easter, we reach the culmination of Holy Week. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most important event of the Christian faith. The very foundation of all Christian doctrine hinges on the truth of this account. Early Sunday morning, several women, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Salome, and Mary, the mother of James, went to the tomb and discovered that the large stone covering the entrance had been rolled away, an angel announced. Don't be afraid. I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead, just as he said he would happen. On the day of his resurrection, Jesus Christ made the f- at, least five, at least five appearances. Mark's Gospel says the first person to see him was Mary Magdalene. Jesus also appeared to Peter, to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, and later that day to all the disciples except Thomas while they were gathered in a house of prayer. The eyewitness accounts in the gospel provide the Christians um, provide what Christians believe to be undeniable evidence that the resurrection of Jesus Christ did indeed happen. Two millennia after his death, followers of Christ still flocked to Jerusalem to see the empty tomb. That was the Holy Week. That was the last week of Jesus' life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And in such a short period of time, in one week's period of time, we get most of the gospel stories. We get a chance to hear about so much of Jesus' life that literally changed the world. Happy Resurrection Day, family. You know, when I think about it today, millions of people all over the world come together to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior. I wanted to go over the timeline of the Passion Week because I thought it was appropriate because sometimes we just get together and we talk about Good Friday. Sometimes we just get together and talk about the resurrection. But to really look at that whole week as a time where Jesus changed the world, where there was celebration. You think about Palm Sunday. There was an amazing um, it was an amazing week that, again, literally all over the world, and you've probably even seen some of the clips where people were even crawling up the same stairs that were shipped, I believe, to Rome, that he had to walk up 
before for his trial. Did anybody get a chance to see that? See those articles? It's amazing. If you uh, Google it, you'll be able to see the, the same steps. They uncovered them. They've been covered for like 300 years. And they're marble, and they have like indentions. For the last 2,000 years, people have been crawling up these steps on their knees just to follow the journey. Today, you know, a few weeks back, if you guys remember, Tommy had really inspired everybody and asked us, hey, could you guys get together? Could we get together and really talk about loving God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, right? So today we're going to talk about loving God with all of our strength, all right? So let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, in verse 27. In verse 27, Jesus answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love the Lord or love your neighbor as yourself. Last night I received a level of understanding about what Jesus accomplished with his life in a way that I had never had before. And I need to share it with you today because in order to understand how to love God with all your strength, we need to examine what true strength is. The Bible gives us a lot of great information of what happened in the life of Jesus. What it does not talk about much about is about what Jesus may have been feeling while he was accomplishing it. You ever notice that? We don't really get super in-depth about what people are necessarily feeling. We only get glimpses and moments of his emotional state. Since Jesus' experience since Jesus experienced life like we do, we can probably also expect that he felt and experienced pain, he experienced loss, and hurt like we do. Although Jesus never sinned, he was tempted with and resisted sin, which at times can be really painful as well. Melda and I were talking last night, and if you're married, it's good to talk with your spouse, amen? <laughs> it's good, it's a good thing, you know. <laughs> I, I appreciate, um, you know, just the things that you learn when you talk with your spouse, right? Um, Kelly was telling me earlier that, uh, that she and her husband have been closer here lately, and I can't give, disclose the reason. However, um, the communication has recently improved their marriage. And I thought, again, it's good to talk to your spouse. So... So my, my, uh, or Imelda and I were again talking last night, and we were just talking about life. And we have a lot of fun, but we also often talk about deep things. And right now, Imelda and I are, are attending a grief recovery class, working through losses that we've experienced in our lives. We learn to define grief as, grief is the conflicting feelings caused by the end of a change or in a familiar pattern of behavior. I'm going to repeat that. Grief is the conflicting feelings caused by the end of or change in a familiar pattern of behavior. Why is it conflicting? Because you can be really sad that you lost a parent, but happy that they are no longer suffering or in pain. It's all normal to feel those things. One of the concepts that we learn in the class is that the accumulation of loss gets more profound 
and negative over time. So if you lose one parent, it hurts, right? And, and you deeply experience that. Maybe you lose a second, maybe a grandparent, maybe a friend, maybe you lose a job, maybe you lose a marriage. Do you see how at the end of that, if you don't deal with your grief, how you can be just a shell of who you are emotionally, unable to cope with and deal with life Y'all know how I get. I don't got allergies. (laughs) Most of the time, we go on acting as if we have recovered over time when in reality, we have not. What led me to believe that I needed to go to class was that I noticed I didn't have the normal reservoir of, of emotional strength that I normally do to cope with the normal challenges of life. One of the ways that this loss took me to the point where I didn't have my normal strength um, or where I really noticed it was in my diet. I didn't have the discipline to eat like I normally did. Does food ever comfort you? Yes. I've experienced a lot of comfort over the last couple years. I gained 20 pounds in the last 20 months. I had to unbutton my tie because I couldn't breathe. (laughs) <laughs> I was like, good Lord. I said, babe, I got to, can I, can I unbutton my tie? I had to ask for permission. You know? <laughs> we all have a different threshold to cope with our pain. Sometimes we may get to a point where we can no longer cope and it leaves us in a dangerous situation. A lot of people get to the point where we figure out how to numb ourselves to make the pain go away. We don't talk about the pain. We hide from it. We figure out many different ways to cope with stress or grief. Just to name a few, we can isolate ourselves. We can use food, alcohol, drugs, anger, exercise excessively, fantasize. Anybody ever binge watch on Netflix trying to escape? How about turn to shopping on Amazon? Workaholism. You don't want to go home, so you stay at work because you don't want to deal with reality. Or who's at home? Or some even struggle with suicide. Y'all got to give me a second. (laughs) Amen. During the class, we've gotten to this point where we do a, a grief timeline. And this brings us back in touch with some of the repressed feelings and grief that we experience or should have experienced. This completion of the pain eventually leads to healing. But who likes to go and revisit those things? One of the sisters uh, taking the class was talking to Imelda about how Jesus had a grief timeline as well. And I wanted to talk to you about Jesus with this in mind today. Jesus never sinned in his whole life and like us would have experienced grief. Some of the losses Jesus must have felt being the savior of the world. He knew even from the time that he was 12 years old that he was here as the son of God. With that, the incredible responsibility to be blameless and holy. Here's some of the thoughts that 
I wanted to offer you. Jesus had to grieve a regular, almost, almost responsibility-free childhood. How would seeing the children that he grew up with and went to school with experience that, or how would that experience be for him? You know, to, to be in a place where you know that you're the son of God and that you have the challenge of saving the world. When most of our teens today, they're on hanging out, having fun on phones, playing video games, right? Just normal childhood today. Jesus had the weight of the world on his shoulders. So there was a loss of childhood. Many of us have lost our childhood to different things, and it has left a scar on us. Well, that scar is on Jesus, too. Jesus never got married or had any physical children. How did that make Jesus feel? Now, I'm not sure, but I know some of us in here have experienced that loss. Although the timeline is unknown, and, and let me be clear, loss for everybody is different. I don't mean that because you're not married or you don't have children that you've experienced loss. If you feel like it's a loss, then it's a loss, right? Although the timeline is unknown, Joseph died, who was his mother's husband and raised him as his own since he was a child. How did that affect Jesus? How did that affect Mary, his mother? How did Jesus feel about how that affected his mother? I know how when I see my mom experience loss, what I feel. Don't you feel deeply when your mom hurts? or your dad hurts, or your child hurts, or somebody close to you hurts. Something that was really profound to me and has always been since I read it was that Jesus was on the cross and he stated in John chapter 19, verse 25. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleopas, and Mary Magdalene, the three Marys. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this, this disciple took her into his home. How did Jesus feel knowing that his mom was watching him on the cross, that his life was slowly slipping away, and he was concerned for this widow who is his mother, he asked one of his dearest friends to take her into his home because he couldn't. Do you realize that as a church, that's what God has planned? The word to care for each other. We're to love each other. The Bible says that Jesus said, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples by the way that you love one another. John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, died preaching and preparing the way for Jesus. This grief affected his whole family. Both Jesus and John were in their early 30s when they died. In Matthew chapter 14, verse 13 and 14, states when Jesus heard what had happened. Thank you. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solid. Gosh, I can't even get it out today. <laughs> Amen. I, we are going to get there. Amen. 
I'm going to start again. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Who was healing Jesus at that time? Just God. Possibly some companionship from his disciples may have provided some comfort, but he withdrew privately because he was deeply affected by the loss of his cousin. Jesus, attempting to deal with his grief, again tried to withdraw and pray, but was interrupted. How did he respond? Let me heal you. Let me feed you. What would we have done? I bet you I would have probably been upset or angry or just wanted to be left alone so I could grieve that loss. I don't know because I wasn't, haven't lost my cousin. But Jesus is called the master for a reason. He set the example how to behave even in the throes of intense emotional pain and grief. Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life and did it while working through intense emotional grief. This realization is still developing for me, but you can see the strength of Jesus with me today, can't you? So when we talk about loving God with all your strength, are you guys getting a picture? Because we still have to obey God no matter what we're going through in life. And the only way that we can do that appropriately and properly is by relying on God. You have to get your strength somewhere. Can you now see why Jesus is the Savior? Why his life, death, and resurrection is something that we should be marveling at and pondering about every day and not just on Sundays? Can you see the depth of love for God in his heart? He obeyed God and trusted him with everything despite what he was going through in his life. You know, a lot of times what we're going through, don't we sometimes use it as an excuse to misbehave, to lash out, to get angry, to sin, and to take in a way that God did not intend for us to take? And you say, what do you mean, Mike? Sexual immorality. We can make fun of people. We somehow feel like it's okay to hate. When we're stressed, we often go to a coping mechanism like we mentioned earlier. We become escape artists. We look for ways to escape from pain and real life. For me, there are times where I pick up food. I'm not a big drinker, but on occasion when I've had a stressful day, I might drink a beer. Nothing wrong with drinking a beer, but is that what God intended? There are times, again, where I escape through Netflix or YouTube. We all have coping mechanisms to deal with the stress and pain in life. For some of us, it has become pornography. Sometimes it's cheating. Sometimes it's lying, stealing, or blame shifting. The reason is, or what had happened was, 
Where did Jesus again draw his strength? It was God. First John 5, 3 states, in fact, this is love for God to keep his commands and his commands are not burdensome. And the only way that I know that they don't become burdensome is when I experience the love of God in my heart. Because going through the motions, don't you get a little bit tired after working a certain amount of hours and dealing with challenges? And, you know, if you're, if you're a parent, sometimes, you know, we have to care for our children. That takes a lot of effort, right? At the end of the week, you might be tired and following God's command may become burdensome. But when we remember Jesus, we can obey God and feel like it's making a difference. I'm obeying God. I love God. I want to do this. We hope you feel it too. Obedience in its simplest form is how we love God. In Hebrews chapter 5 verse 7 During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Mark 135, very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. In Matthew chapter 4, we learn that Jesus was led by the Spirit of God into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He resisted and fought by using the word of God as a sword and his faith as his shield. He set us the example of loving God with all of our strength through obedience, even though he was going through deep emotional pain, grief, and loss. To me, this is simply amazing. Because I couldn't even follow my diet. Right. After a long, stressful day at work or a week, I'm looking for some ways to veg out and and just try to cope with my life. Do you see the strength that he had? After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, this is Matthew chapter 28, verse one. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him, they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples. He has risen from the dead, and he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to, to Galilee. There they will see me. The Apostle Paul even reminds us that God's power is made perfect through weakness. Though we are weak in Christ, we are strong, right? If you do what Jesus did and rely on God to get you through instead of coping to numb yourself, you will be more like Jesus. 
May you be filled with joy this morning as you worship Jesus and enjoy the bounty of his presence in your life. Amen? Amen. That's the sermon for today, y'all. I have for you guys some good news, though. So on Good Friday, Imelda and I, we were delighted to be able to have uh, Pablo and Edna Torres over to be able to study the cross together. And uh, they've been studying for a while, and, and uh, Edna decided on Friday night that she wants to be a disciple and she's going to get baptized today after church. Amen? And I'm not going to get too much into it. Maybe Edna at one point will share her story with you, but she has been, since a very small child, God has been planting seeds and watering seeds and doing some amazing things in her life. And just being able to get to know her and Pablo a little bit has just been such a great pleasure for my wife and I. You know, the way our study schedule worked out, we didn't even plan to study the Bible and and have the Bible study on Good Friday. It just kind of worked out that way. But it was so good to do the cross study on Good Friday and stop and think about Jesus on that cross and what he was doing. So again, today we get to see our new and dear friend become our sister in Christ by rising to a new life as Jesus rose from the dead and gets to participate in the death, burial, and resurrection like Romans 6 talks about. So please, again, join us for the baptism right outside of service. We'll probably uh, be doing that in about 20 minutes. I think we got to get, get set up for it still. But um, just wanted to leave you guys with some good news, and, uh, and thank you. So. Okay.